Let's take our Bibles and turn in them to the book of 1 Corinthians. We want to get, get rolling today. We're going to finish the 10th chapter, uh, verses 13 through 33, uh, in a message that I have entitled, For the Good of Others and uh, the Glory of God. And so with that, let's uh, take our hearts one more time to the Lord. Uh, let's bow our hearts. Father, once again, we just say thank you for gathering us here today. Uh, Lord, we say thank you just for your love and your your mercy, uh, for your goodness and your grace. And God, we're just praying that, uh, Lord, you're so faithful to challenge us. I pray that we would have an appropriate uh, response in allowing you to change us today, uh, that the seed of your word would find uh, good soil uh, in our hearts. And so we give this time to you, and we honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. Overconfidence uh, creates weakness. That was the basic principle that Paul put forth as we were ending our time together, if you recall, last week. The Corinthian Christians had experienced blessing after privilege, after blessing from God. They were baptized into Christ, provisions and protection from Christ, yet really not living lives that expressed gratitude toward or love for Christ. You know, thinking that because they had believed in Jesus, they had been baptized, they partook of communion, that they were essentially safe from any real form of discipline or disqualification. And so Paul reminded them that Israel was blessed, that Israel was privileged in their exodus from Egypt, that they were all baptized into Moses, and they all partook of the same spiritual food and spiritual drink. They were protected and provided for by Christ as well. But with most of them, God was not well pleased. And they were disciplined and disqualified from the promised land due to their self-serving disposition and their bodies, all but two of that generation, were scattered in the wilderness. And the warning to receive was this, just because I've experienced the deliverance of God or I've been blessed, privileged, and protected by God, that doesn't mean that I won't be disciplined by God and disqualified from my reward should I choose to lead a life of inconsiderate, uh, unbridled self-indulgence rather than learning to crucify my flesh, exercise self-control, and walk in love toward others rather than always experiencing or uh, exercising liberty toward myself. The Corinthians, it seemed, hadn't really stopped to consider the fact that being blessed and privileged by God doesn't grant some sort of immunity from moral responsibility. Family, I find myself on repeat with a phrase that I think we do well, myself included, to take in and think through, and, and that is something along these lines, that if we want God to honor our lives then our lives need to honor God. Does that make sense? And so Paul writes in verse 12 uh, of chapter 10, he says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. And he says, No temptation has overtaken you except such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Now, guys, we're going to spend a little bit of time right here in this verse because there's just so much that we do well to consider. But one of the main takeaways that I think 
verse 13 offers, or at least that I would have you to glean, is this. As it pertains to temptation, the work or the way of God in my life will always lead to endurance. It will never lead to indulgence. Are you following me? You see, I may be fickle. You know, you may be frail, but God is faithful. Did you see that? It seems that the way many of the Corinthians sought to squelch the uh, temptation that came across their path was the same way that so many do today, and that is just by simply giving into it. You know, uh, get, listen, getting rid of temptation through gratification, if I dare say, uh, as if it's needed to say, but I'm going to say, is not God's way. Um, you know, they wanted that porterhouse steak from Zeus's uh, temple market, and uh, they didn't care who it offended. They were going to get it. You, you remember the context. We're in this last little section of this passage that deals with eating meat that had been sacrificed to idols. And put simply, and I'll trust the application between you and the Holy Spirit personally, they refused to resist the temptation to be self-indulgent, okay? And Paul clearly anticipated kind of the classic rationale or response when someone's talking about temptation, you know, but you don't understand my temptation, right? I mean, how many times have you ran across this guy? Or better yet, how many times have you been this guy? I mean, honestly, this is an every hand under the roof probably kind of response when we start talking like this, you know. Truth be told, guys, listen, you want to purport, I like to think uh, that your temptation, that my temptation somehow is unique unto myself. You know, you think that your temptation that no one else has ever experienced a temptation so trying, so testing as yours. And so we justify and rationalize, succumbing to it, giving in to it. And Paul basically grabs us up here by the lapels here, sort of slaps us around a little bit and says, come on, man. You know, I just sounded like our commander-in-chief, didn't I? Come on, man. <laughs> but Paul kind of grabs us up by the lapels. He slaps us around a little bit. He says, come on, man. You, I mean, do you really think that you're the only one who's ever gone through temptation like you face? And he, he kind of takes us here and throws a little cold water splash of reality in our faces. And he says, no temptation has overtaken you except such as is. Did you see the words? You might underline it, highlight it, maybe circle it in your Bible common to man. Translation, guys, there's no such thing as a superhuman or some sort of supernatural above and beyond the average uh, temptation, meaning that temptation is a common, listen, it's a common human experience, none of which are ever unique unto us individually, you understand what I'm saying? Now, the enemy loves to whisper that thought in your ear. You know, no one understands what you're going through. You know, no one has ever faced this situation like you. It's not true. Millions of others, if not, I would say, billions of others throughout history have experienced temptation exactly like you do. 
Of course, you know, the nuances in your circumstance may vary, but the underlying urges that comprise and accompany temptation is they're the same for every one of us, okay? Whether it's temptation toward lust and where that may lead or drinking or drug abuse or even something as simple as complaining or entertaining a conversation that you know you shouldn't be a part of, uh, maybe being in a place you shouldn't be, maybe being tempted to fly off the rails in a given situation, whatever, it doesn't matter, okay? Others have been where you are and where I stand and they've overcome, not because they're just so, so fierce, but did you see it here? It's because God, well, he is so, what's the word? Faithful. Guys, underline again the precious promise if you haven't already. It says right here in verse 13, God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. And family, let's not be confused. He's not referencing the strength that you and I have within ourselves to bear up under temptation. Guys, under my own strength, I can't resist the simple urge to eat a snickerdoodle. You know what I'm saying? Not that I would ask Kim Hibbard to ever fix me a batch or anything if she's around, uh, you know, but much less something that simple, but much less something that would be or could be considered sinful Come on. I mean, he's speaking here of the strength to withstand temptation as found in the person and power of the Holy Spirit in our lives, okay? But we find here that not only, and this is really, guys, I, I want you to see these things because I believe they're going to work, you know, for you. They're keys for you. And for me, when we're confronted in these kinds of circumstances and situations, that not only is the temptation that confronts us common, did you see that? No temptation has overtaken you except such as is, well, you know, unique unto you or uh, absolutely radical in your case specifically, or it's way different for you personally. Is that what he said? No. He said, no temptation has overtaken you except that which is what? Come on, say it. Common. So not only is our temptation common, but what else is it? Did you see it? It's, and you're gonna love this, it's controlled. It's controlled. God screens every temptation to ensure that you won't be tempted beyond your ability to endure. Now, and it doesn't matter which avenue the temptation comes to you through, right? What, there's a ba basically three avenues, I would say in totality, but you know, however you want to break it down, three avenues through which temptation might find its way to you. And you know what they are. Be it the world, the flesh, or the devil, right? Temptation will find you. And all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, the pride of life, okay? These are the, the avenues through which temptation will come to you. But God promises to limit your temptation within the perimeter, within the spectrum or the scope of your ability to endure as you rely on him. Now, if you're like me, oftentimes we, we take issue. We don't agree, <laughs> you know, with that. Uh, with regard to, I mean, I've evidently God thinks I'm capable of way more than I think I'm capable of, you know, these kinds of things. But through, listen, through testing, through trials, through uh, temptations, God is allowing you and me that we would be placed in a situation in order that we might grow through it. Are you following me? 
You know, it's like being at the gym. There you are, you're lifting, you're doing your sets and all, and uh, you know, you're at the end of your ability, you know? It's like you're done, you're ready to rack it, you're ready to be done with it, but then here comes your buddy and he's like, come on man, one more set. You got one more and you're like, man, I can't do it. And he's like, dude, it's all you, you got this, you know? And so you commence to unrack the, the weights and you push through and you get one more set, something you, you know, never thought you could do, but your coach, your buddy, he knew it was in you. Well, you may not think you have the strength, but God knows it's in you. Why? Because it's the work of his spirit through you. Now, if it were up to Satan, hear me now, you know this, you'd be you and me, we would be destroyed already, right? I mean, just like he wanted to do with Job, he wants to do with you. You remember Jesus told Peter that Satan wanted to sift him as wheat. Good night, you know. What terrifying words to be told. And Jesus told him, but I have prayed for you, right, that your faith should not fail. What a wonderful truth to be reminded of that the Lord intercedes on our behalf. God will keep you from what you can't handle. And notice, it keeps getting better with the temptation will also make the way of escape that you may be able to bear it. So not only will God limit the scope of our temptation, but he will make a way of escape available as well. Now here's kind of the kicker, here's the caveat, right? He'll never force us to take the way of escape but he will make the way of escape nonetheless. Are you following me? As I mentioned a few minutes ago, gratification through giving in to temptation will never be the way of escape that God provides for you and me. And many times we discover that we face the same temptation over and over. Why? Because we haven't learned to take the way of escape. We haven't grown past it. We haven't uh, become stronger as the result of it. You know, many of you know that I enjoy training, I, you know, jujitsu, whatever, okay? Uh, but when someone figures out, by way of example, when someone figures out a way to pass your guard, or they figure out a way to uh, submit you. You will find that when you're rolling with this person, when you're grappling with this person, and they've kind of got this inroad in on you, that they will you know, put you in this same place of compromise over and over again. And you're like, man, how many times you know, are you going to do this to me? And the typical response is something along the lines of, until you figure out a way to stop it. Okay, uh, the idea being that until you take the way of escape, till you see it, till you're able to, you know, it's just going to happen again and again and again. And even so, until we learn to crucify the flesh, to take the way of escape, we'll often find ourselves facing that same temptation again and again and again. I mean, you know, the enemy might apply the old adage, maybe I should have just put it this way, if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? If it's working, why change it? And I want you to notice, you guys, that the way of escape isn't necessarily easy, nor does it alleviate, you know, all nuances of temptation. How many of you realize the only place that's going to alleviate all temptation, we call it place heaven, okay? 
the way of escape leads to a place where we, he says, may be able to, well, to bear it, to endure it. By the way, I should also say, by way of application, because some you know, struggle with the idea of temptation uh, you know, and sin and, and where's the line. And I, I would just tell you that being tempted isn't sin, okay? Even enduring temptation isn't sin. Entertaining it, however, is. Are you, are you with me there? Uh, don't flirt with it. Flee from it. Okay, look at verse 14. He says, therefore, my beloved, flee, underline it, from idolatry. You see, the key is to flee. For them, it was flee from the idolatry regarding those pagan festivities in the local temples. For you and me, the application would be to flee from any person, any activity, any hobby that gets in the way that hinders or threatens to take priority over my relationship with the Lord. You understand? That's the idol in our lives, that which is taking the priority over his place ruling supremely in my life. But you recall uh, that last week, Paul reminded them, these Corinthian Christians, that in ancient Israel, by intermingling with pagan practices, they fell away from God and into idolatry. And guys, essentially, the, the path that Paul's taking us down here, where he's going to lead us, is to understand that, guys, there are certain elements that aren't harmful, right? I mean, meaning in, in our in our current context, meat is meat, right? I mean, whatever. Um, uh, the environment, though, so the element in and of itself may not be harmful, but the environment in which it's enjoyed can be, okay? Pagan temples, uh, places where their rituals are regularly practiced. Guys, it's true that an idol is nothing. We know that. It's wood, it's, it's stone, it's gold, silver, whatever. But Satan can use those things. Uh, Demonic entities are behind those things seeking to deceive people and to lead you into sin. So even though, hear me now, even though the idol is nothing, idolatry is demonic. Do you understand what I'm saying? You might just write this down so you can read it later, look it up later. It's Psalm 106, verses 35 through 39. Psalm 106, verses 35 through 39. Now look at verse 15. He says, I speak as to wise men. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing which we bless Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break, is it not the communion of the body of Christ? For we, though many, are one bread and one body, for we all partake of that one bread. He says, observe Israel after the flesh. That is, he's going to give us an example practically, something in history. Are are not those who eat of the sacrifices partakers of the altar? He says, what am I saying? That an idol is anything or, you know, what is offered to idols is anything? Rather, 
that the things which the Gentiles sacrifice, they sacrifice to demons and not to God, and I do not want you to have fellowship with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the Lord's table and of the table of demons, or do we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Guys, his point is that hanging out in the pagan temples, feasting and fellowshipping in that environment is not as innocent as it may seem, okay? Now, the Corinthians, like most Greeks in the ancient world, prided themselves on wisdom. And so here in verse 15, Paul appeals to them on that level. Why? Because he knows it's going to cause them, you know, I speak to as wise. Oh, so it's going to cause them to kind of perk up and pay attention, to consider carefully what he's about to say. Now, again, the point that he's going to make is that it's not wise to hang out in these environments where pagan festivities and rituals are taking place. You know, it's interesting, I I find, that, um, you know, when you begin to lay out standards, personal standards, of which you don't want to compromise, how quickly people will want to label you as being caught up in legalism. You know what I'm saying? But Paul is saying, listen, what we're talking about here, there's a, there's a radical difference between legalism and walking in wisdom. Do you understand? Okay, so it's not insisting on my liberty, it's choosing to walk in love, both for God and then for others, okay? Thinking of my relationship with the Lord and my impact and influence on others. The question that I would personally ask someone who's wanting to be a part of these festivities or in this is, you know, is like, well, why? Why do you want to be there in the first place? No, and a quick application for you and me, and I'm just throwing this out there, might be, you know, like a Christian who loves dancing. And we've talked about this before. Can Christians dance? Well, some definitely can. Others definitely can't. You know, I mean, that's just kind of, it is what it is. But Paul would say, you know, dancing is fine. I mean, you know, David danced in worship before the Lord. What you're doing is no problem. But choosing where you do it can be. In other words, you're out clubbing, guys, it can be a problem. Why? Well, not because of what, but because of where. Do you understand? You see, in other words, what does the environment lean into? What does the environment glamorize and glorify? Same thing, you guys, hanging out in a bar. Listen, you might go there, you might enjoy Coke, you know, no alcohol, no nothing. But what's the overall emphasis of the environment? What does it point you toward? What does it seek to tempt you with? You know, debauchery and drunkenness and fornication. And Now, are those things godly or ungodly? And so why would you want to sit and soak in that kind of environment? You see, these are the, the, the deeper questions you've got to probe. Paul is seeking to reinforce the critical doctrine, listen now, of leading lives separate from sin, okay? Now, do me a favor. I want you to turn to the right in your Bible. Leave 1 Corinthians, go to 2 Corinthians, just a few pages over here, chapter 6, okay? 
2 Corinthians chapter 6. Let's go. And let me draw your attention now, beginning in verse 11, okay? 2 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 11. He says, O Corinthians, we have spoken openly to you. Our heart is wide open. You are not restricted. Now, why are you putting these restrictions on us, you know? You are not restricted by us, but you're restricted by your own affections, your passions. Now, in return for the same, he says, I speak to you as children. You also be open. Listen, here we go. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now, again, he's not talking about hanging out with someone. This would be specifically with regard to being married to uh, or, you know, you're beginning to be courted by or dating unbelievers, this and that. He says, for what fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness? What communion has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what part has the believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk among them. I will be their God. They shall be my people. Therefore, or because of that, because God is in you, because he walks among you, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. And do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my sons and daughters, says Says the Lord Almighty. Now listen, it may seem as though we've been kind of dragging this issue out over the last couple of chapters, but guys, we've taken our time because limiting liberty within the spectrum of love, love for God, wanting to, my life to honor God, you know, not that, you know, why do we love God? Because He first loved us. And so what's the right response to the love of God, right? And then also love for others. And thinking about limiting my liberty within the spectrum of love for God and for others is worth marinating in. It's worth meditating on. Now, back in our present passage, back in 1 Corinthians, Paul says, look, when we drink the cup of the vine, when we partake of the broken bread, is it not the communion or the joining together as one, okay, of the blood and the body of Christ? Guys, in the ancient world, when you and me, when we would share a meal in the ancient world, the idea, the mentality is that we are becoming one with one another, well, now, why is this? This is why this is why the Pharisees had this radical difficulty with the fact that Jesus would eat with sinners. You wonder, like, what? What's the big deal? He's just having a. Di- well, it's because of the mentality of the ancient world. You see that they would. He was becoming one with them, and so the, and the idea is there would be just some sort of soup, some kind of broth there in the center of the table. And uh, just a common bowl uh, that everyone, you know, partook of. There would be a common loaf of bread there, uh, you know, beside it. Maybe one on each side. However, the spread was laid out. And, uh, you know, we would all break from the same loaf. We would all dip in the same kind of soup, sop, however you want to say. And there was no such thing as a no double dipping rule. Yeah, that was, that's more of a modern thing. In the ancient world, it didn't matter. 
You take it, you eat it, you take a bite. That was pretty good. You dip some more, you go right in there for it. They're doing the same thing. Germs are mixing, mingling. You know, it's in, 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 and so there you are, and, and you're partaking of the same loaf, you're partaking of the same soup, and what's sustaining and nurturing you is sustaining and nurturing me, and in this kind of mystical, if you will, way, we're kind of becoming one with one another. And this was, this was kind of, you know, and in the partaking of the elements of communion, we're acknowledging, that that's why Jesus said, he who eats my body, who drinks my blood. Now, he wasn't invoking cannibalism. He said, the words I speak are spirit and they are life. What he's saying is you have to receive me into your innermost being. Acknowledge that I'm sustaining you. I'm nurturing you. I am life to you. Do you see what I'm saying? And in partaking of these elements of communion, we're acknowledging that we are one with Christ. It's his broken body that's made us whole. It's the pouring out of his life, of his blood that's given us life. He in us, we in him. There's a unity, uh, pardon me, a unity amongst us all because we're all partaking of the bread and the cup. You see what I'm saying? Even so... Paul is saying that when you're at this pagan banquet given in honor of these idols behind which are demons, you're consenting to unity with these demonic entities who are taking advantage of misdirected worship. And that's why he speaks of Israel, he says, after the flesh, meaning in ancient Israel, under the, you know, the Mosaic system, they would take the sacrifices, and there were a number of them, weren't there? There were burnt offerings, sin offerings, uh, wave offerings, uh, grain offerings. One was a peace offering or a fellowship offering. And what would happen is that you would bring your peace offering to the tabernacle, and the idea there was that the priest would offer the fat, and that was God's part. He would offer the fat just like when you throw that steak on the grill and it starts to melt and it just smells so awesome, you know what I'm saying? I see some of you guys are going, yeah. You know, um, and, uh, and it just be that aroma begins to kind of lift up into the heavens. Well, this is what's happening. They're offering a part of it to God and God's receiving it. The priest would take part of it. Then the one who offered it would take part of it and prepare it. And the whole idea is that we're dining, we're fellowshipping. There's a oneness between us and God, okay? We're all kind of partaking of the common meal, if you will. There is a, a, a oneness of fellowship with God. And here, Paul is drawing that same connection when feasting at the pagan temple. So guys, it's not the meat at the place. The idol's nothing. It's the place that you meet, <laughs> you understand? Not the meat at the place, the place that you meet, there are specific connotations and implications behind it, and they're not godly. You know, Israel was disciplined radically for partaking in festivities revolving around idolatry. That's why he says, you can't drink of the cup of the Lord in one hand and the cup of demons in the other hand. You remember what we just read? What fellowship has Christ with Belial? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? What, do you, what are we doing here? What fellowship has light with darkness? Do you really want to provoke the Lord to jealousy? I mean, do you really think you're going to win that fight? Guys, God has called us to holiness. 
and we choose to hang out in this corrupt environment. You see where he's going with that? Guys, that's skating on thin ice, playing with sin, tempting God. And it's not that God is jealous of like some little demonic entity. That's not what he's saying. But that he's jealous for you and your spiritual well-being. That you would open yourself up to some kind of demonic influence, even unwittingly. He just, you don't want to come out from among them. Be separate, says the Lord. Again, the meat itself is fine. It doesn't have some sort of magical contamination. There's no demonic cooties attached to it. No need to be aware of the meat, but be aware of where you meet. Does that make sense? And again, I'm just going to trust that the Lord will lead you personally in application to that in your own life where it may need to land. I don't know. And you know, the Corinthian Christians were probably thinking, well, goodness, we didn't intend to give way to demonic worship at these pagan feasts. Listen, you know, you put your hand in a fire, it doesn't really matter if you intend to get burned or not. You can get burned, okay? Now look at verse 23. He says, all things, again, underline it, He says, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but not all things edify. Underline 24, let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. Now we touched on this principle of verse 23 back in chapter 6 and verse 12, so I'd encourage you maybe to go back on that. The nutshell of this verse is this. Rather than seeking out things that won't hurt you, make it your aim to seek things out that will actually help you. Does that make sense? Things that will lead to your growth, your dedication, your consecration in service to the Lord. Instead of considering this, you know, like, well, what, you know, what's the harm in it? How about we think of it like this? Where's the help in it? Okay? So do you see the difference in the mindset? Well, what's the harm in it? Well, let me ask you this. What's the help in it? Where's the help in it? You know? Just because something is allowed under liberty doesn't mean that it's going to benefit you or those around you in any way. Be careful of adopting that mentality that seeks to find out how much you can get away with and still be considered a Christian. Guys, you're already headed the wrong direction. The self-seeking direction. You understand what I'm saying? Our heart should be, what does he say here in verse 24? Not about self, but about others. Let no one seek his own, but each one the other's well-being. You know, what you're considering being a part of may not harm you. But the question is, how will it impact others around you? Guys, this is where we circle back to love being the primary guiding force in my life as opposed to liberty. I should be considerate of my influence upon those around me. Does that make sense? Okay. Now look at verse 25, guys. We're not too far from finished. He says, if any of those who do not believe invite you to dinner, so an unbeliever invites you over to their house, and you want to go, 
He says, just eat whatever is set before you, asking no questions for conscience' sake. But if anyone says to you, hey man, this, this was offered to idols, don't eat it for the sake of the one who told you, and for conscience' sake. Notice, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. Conscience, I say, uh, you know, not, notice he says, uh, not your own, but that of the other. For why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? So, you know, eat whatever, oh, did I skip verse 25? Eat whatever is sold in the meat market, asking no questions for conscience sake, for the earth is the Lord's and all its fullness. In other words, again, it's not about the meat, okay? Because remember we're talking about this, you know, people having trouble with meat being offered to idols and stuff. And uh, listen, the cow, the lamb, whatever, it's God's creation. And he says, that's the thing. It's the Lord's on the hoof, and it's still the Lord's on the grill. It don't matter, okay? Just don't go to the market and say, um, you know, here's the thing. He's saying Christians sometimes can ask too many questions, you know, he's like, he's like, don't say, hey, why is this prime cut of meat so much cheaper? You know, he said, look, you know, did it come from some kind of temple sacrifice or something? Is that why you've got it on sale here? He says, look, man, don't ask questions. Just buy it and eat it. If it's on sale, if it's a good price, a good cut of meat, just buy it and eat it. Because it's not about the animal. It's about the atmosphere of idolatry. Okay? And again, in verse 27, he says, if an unbeliever asks you over, you want to go eat, eat what's set in front of you, but don't, but if someone says, man, this was offered to idols, he says, well, then look, just don't eat it for the conscience sake of the one who told you, because the earth is the Lord's in all its fullness. And he says again, notice verse 29, conscience, not your own. Why? Because you know, but that of the other. And then he says, for why is my liberty judged by another man's conscience? But if I partake with thanks, why am I evil spoken of for the food over which I give thanks? Now again, you guys, the idea in play is consideration for others. Unbeliever asks you to come over for dinner, you want to go, he says, just whatever they sit in front of you, just eat it. You know, I mean, put your missionary mindset on, say, set something down, just eat it. You know, don't say, hey, this wasn't offered to an idol, was it? You know. Because again, it's not the meat. It's the atmosphere of where you're meeting. But if perhaps another, maybe there's a couple of you over there and another believer leans over and says, hey man, I saw them pick this up down at Aphrodite's select cut of steaks, you know, whatever. Um, or perhaps the host is setting it in front of you and he's prepared it for you and then he's all like, oh, I'm so sorry I wasn't even thinking about it. I know you Christians don't eat meat from, you know, these meat markets that I picked this up or anything. Or, or for whatever reason, someone makes it known. And, and, and the thing is, the unbeliever may not even have an accurate understanding of where your head is or where your heart is or what, you know, is actually acceptable in the Christian community. But what he's telling you, what they're telling you is that for whatever reason, um, they have a check in their conscience, Okay? They've set something in front of you, or something's there in front of you, and someone makes this known to you. What that means is, I just gotta, I gotta check here in my conscience. And so, for their sake, he says, just politely and courteously decline. Thank them for their hospitality. Don't violate someone else's. It doesn't have to be this big. Remember, we talked about this before. It's not time for me to teach you about my liberty. It's time for me to respond in love. 
uh, toward you in, instead. I'm just going to walk in love. Now, if you're at your own home, you want that cut of meat, go for it. Be thankful between you and the Lord. Look at verse 31. It becomes the key. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Give no offense either to the Jews or the Greeks or to the church of God, just as I also please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, why? That they may be saved. Uh, and Karen, you can, uh, if you want to come on up, you can. We're going to close here. But guys, when he starts talking about just as I also please all men and all things, and this, he's not talking about being a man pleaser in the sense of uh, compromising his walk with Christ. And we've talked about this before. What he's saying is be willing to meet people where they're at so that you might build a bridge that leads them to Christ. If rather than thinking, can I get away with this? We'd think, can I glorify God through this? You see that lens? You see the difference? Like what I'm getting ready to do, not like, is it okay if I do this? Maybe the better question would be, can I glorify God through this? It would solve a lot of otherwise weird dilemmas in our lives. <laughs> Things would go so much easier if we just thought of the good of others and the glory of God. And guys, that's why we're here, isn't it? To see people saved and sanctified and serving God, that our lives might bring glory to God. And so I would just encourage you guys, let it act as a barometer of sorts in your lives. Is it good for others? Can it glorify God? And may we learn what it means. So important. Not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many. Why? That they may be saved. Let's bow our hearts. Father, we... uh, we thank you for the straight, just the straightforward nature of your word. Thank you, God, for being willing to meet us where we're at and lead us in the way that we should go. And I pray, God, again, that we would just take your word to heart. And Lord, I want to pray for every heart that's here, God, because certainly temptation confronts us all and I pray Lord that when confronted with temptation that we learn to take the way of escape fleeing it not flirting with it and all of that that we would honor you with our lives the things we do the things we say that it would serve for the good of others and the glory of your name And I would just say, guys, while, again, we're here, if you don't know the Lord, then let today be the day that you are saved. That's why we're here. That we might know and grow in Jesus Christ who has loved us and given himself for us there upon the cross. His broken body, his blood shed. Why? so that we might find the forgiveness of sin in Him, everlasting life through faith in His work on your behalf, on my behalf. 
And so as always, you know, if you're in that place and the Lord is, is just kind of rapping on the door of your heart, he's knocking on the door of your heart, I'm just encouraging you to let today be the day of salvation. Just give God your heart. Just kind of raise the white flag of surrender unconditionally. Give Him your heart totally. And you'll leave here different than you walked in for all eternity. Is that you? I don't care what's happened in your life up to this point or uh, where you've been or what you've done. If the Lord is just uh, saying, you know what, man? It's time to quit playing games. It's time to give your life to me. Well, why don't you respond? Just raise your hand. Let me pray for you. If I see your hand, I'll say it and you can put it back down. But I just want to give you a second to say, you know what? Today's a day of salvation for me. Is there anybody here? I want you to worry about who you're around or who's in front or behind you or what's going on. Just if the Lord uh, is speaking to you. Okay, guys, well, you know, I, I want to trust that while we're here, and I'm just going to go ahead and let us, you know, we talked about why would we sit and soak in an environment that's leaning into or uh, tempting us to go toward ungodly activity. But I'm telling you, it's healthy to sit and soak in an environment that leans into and challenges you to draw near to God. To crucify the flesh and walk in the Spirit and give honor to God. And so I'm going to give you just a minute, just a, just a few seconds, to sit and soak and think about maybe something that the Lord has laid on your heart today. Something maybe to give to Him, to turn from to lay at His feet. Maybe, maybe something to begin to, in which you would serve Him. Maybe you've been kind of in, on the fence about just, you know what, it's time to be a part of something. And, or, and you've just been kind of thinking, but it's not convenient. I mean, you wouldn't say it like that, but the truth is it's been more about self rather than about others. Guys, the application's unlimited. So I'm just going to let you and God think that through. Come let us reason together, says the Lord. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. He has said in his word, draw near to me and I will draw near to you. Father, we thank you just for uh, for the fact that you are right on time. And Lord, as you're just leading us, as David said, search my heart. Know me. Try me. Test me, my anxieties and all. 
See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, I just pray that every heart here would echo that, that same sentiment, Lord, that we would have you to lead us in the way everlasting. And that our lives reflect that beyond these doors. And that we become contagious, infectious with your love, with the message of salvation. Pour out your spirit upon us, God. And we'll give you praise in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, ladies and gentlemen, friends, family, why don't we rise to our feet? God is good, amen. Greatly to be praised, amen. Listen, guys, may the Lord bless you and be with you. May you find yourself leaning into His strength. You know, so many times I feel like we fail, and I'm in the same boat. I feel like we fail because we try. We try too hard. What I mean by that is, you know, when you, when you read the Scripture, you, you kind of learn that the Lord would teach us that it's not about us trying so much as it is about us dying. I mean, dying to self. If any man would come after me, let him take up his cross, that instrument of death to self, and the self will, you know, deny himself, take up the cross, follow me. So the Lord would learn, teach us what it means to, to crucify the flesh, to die to self, that he might allow his spirit, his strength to shine through us. If you have any need for prayer, that's why we're here. As always, you guys, you know that. If you're new with us, now you, now you know that. <laughs> Uh, We're just here to pray for you and avail ourselves to you. Whatever your need may be, we encourage you to take advantage of that. So let's pray and I'll let you go. Father, once again, we just uh, love you. God, we thank you for your word and we thank you, God, just for uh, your compassion and the way that you're able to take us and speak to us and challenge. And again, Lord, I want to pray once again that not only the challenge being taken, but the change, uh, Lord, being received. And Father, that you go before us now and that you'd make our path straight. Use us for your glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great Sunday afternoon.